It is all good. Well, I'm excited we get to continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 7, and we're looking at verses 7 through 12. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and we'll get one right to your seat to follow along with us. We actually bought some new Bibles. Give her a new Bible, Richard. There you go. (laughs) We got the new ones in, so... (laughs) Anybody else want an old Bible? All right, Matthew chapter 7, continuing our study through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking, starting in verse 7. We read, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Part of my message this morning is ask, seek, knock, and do. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this opportunity to spend time in Your Word this morning. Lord, we thank you that we know that it's your desire, it's your plan to speak to our hearts this morning. And so, Lord, as the two come together, Lord, we pray that we would have open ears to receive all that you have for us today. That, uh, Lord, we would draw close to you in our relationship with you. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their hearts and lives to you completely, uh, Lord, they're, they're not born again, we pray that you'd especially touch their heart. Help them to see the love you have for them and the desire to have a relationship with them. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tomorrow, we celebrate Columbus Day. Interesting fact. Did you know that just two days before Columbus Day, uh, before Columbus Day, before Columbus sighted land, his men were on the verge of mutiny. They had had it. They'd sailed the longest voyage ever out of the sight of land. They wanted to turn back. They wanted to give up. And the entry in Columbus's journal, October 10th, 1492, states this. Here the people could stand it no longer and complained of the long voyage, but the admiral cheered them as best he could, holding out good hope of the advantages they would have. He added that it was useless to complain. He had come to the Indies and so had to continue until he found them with the help of our Lord. Two days later, they discovered America. Persistent perseverance. I'll give you another example. It's getting that time of year. The movie Christmas Story comes out. You're familiar with that, that movie? Little uh, Ralphie wants an official Red Ryder carbon action, 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time. And he goes to great lengths of persistence to get someone, anyone, to listen to him and to agree that something he should have. But alas, his mother, his teacher, even Santa Claus gives him a hard time, pushes him down the little side. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Now, eventually, he gets to be begun and almost shoots his eye out. But nevertheless, through his determination and through his persistence, it's his. And I thought how persistent he was in wanting that Red Rider BB gun. And we know, all know how kids can be very persistent in wanting, uh, when it comes to wanting something. 
But how persistent are we when it comes to prayer? I looked up the word persistence, and its definition is steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. See, here in Matthew chapter 7, we're coming to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. In this great message, the Lord has addressed so many important practical subjects that we deal with as believers. We looked at how a believer is to live and how we are to think. And we've seen our, our Lord's uh, words on topics such as worry, uh, ambition, the giving of our finances, praying. He warned us not to be condemning in our judgment, but at the same time, use wisdom and discernment, and not cast our pearls before swine. Now, if I'm going to do all of that, I'm going to need some help. If we've learned anything from this Sermon on the Mount, it's that we all fall short, yet we all, yet in our failure, we also see our need for a Savior. We need His intervention. We need His Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to know that He is the God in heaven that loves us and wants what is absolutely best for each one of us here this morning. So along these lines, Jesus is urging us to be persistent in our prayers. Now, Jesus has already talked about prayer, but He adds a little more detail and gives us some precious promises as well. So if you're taking notes this morning, we just have two points. Number one, persistent praying. Number two, persistent doing. Look at verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So he's telling us to be persistent in our prayers. If you were to translate this into the original language, it would be keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And the reason that's important for us to know is that there are times when we don't pray, you know, or rather when we do pray about something once, maybe even twice, and we don't hear an answer, and, and, and at least in the affirmative, then we give up and say, oh, it must not be God's will. But you see, here's what God desires of us. Whenever our prayers are not answered over a certain situation, God wants us to keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking until He either answers our request by saying yes or no, or He changes our request. That is, when we see that what we're praying for is really not the best thing that God has for us, then we stop praying for that. And, and let me tell you, that's what will always happen. Either an answer will come, or God changes our heart in prayer. Now, I think for me, and probably many of you, you know, we like when God says yes. You know, that's a good answer. Even when God says no, it's a little tough, but, but it's okay. But, but I think the worst is, wait. Wait, because we want everything right now. We've got to have it right now. We have this fast food mentality, you know. I think when I was a kid, it would ask for something, and mom wouldn't say yes or no. She'd say, we'll see. You know what that meant. There ain't no way it's going to happen, at least for a kid. Yeah, that's what you knew that it meant. But the, the reason many times God desires for us to wait in a given situation is because he wants us to grow in our relationship with him, to trust him. He wants, us to be, uh, to, to, he wants his desires for us to be completely yielded to him. So here Jesus is telling us to be persistent in our prayers. And here's why. We need to understand that when we pray, there's a spiritual battle taking place. Daniel chapter 10, very interesting story. It tells of Daniel offering his request before God. But when the answer finally came, an angel came to Daniel and, and said, I was dispatched 21 days ago to answer your prayer, but I had a run-in with a demon who was overcome by uh, uh, Michael the archangel. I love that story because it shows us a behind-the-scenes conflict that was taking place, a, a war raging when we pray. 
So it may be that God, uh, that you've asked God for something in your life that, that He wants to do, but just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it's never going to happen. His delays are not necessarily His denial. So keep praying. And definitely there are certain prayers that the devil will oppose more than other prayers. For example, when you pray for the salvation of a person, you need to know that's a spiritual battle. Because the last thing that Satan wants is to release one of his captives. Second Timothy 2.26 tells us that the devil has taken those that don't believe captive to do his will. That's why we need to pray. Pray that God would open up that person's eyes to see their need for Christ and see their need to repent. And don't give up. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Notice that word, everyone. Everyone. Don't miss this gracious, mercy-filled pronoun. It doesn't matter your race. doesn't matter your sex, your social status, your financial status, if you're single or married. Everyone. I mean, what a great promise. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks find, and to him who knocks it will be open. Now, there is a, a huge contingency to this promise. We must come to the Father through the Son. Why? Well, because everyone has fallen short. Everyone uh, has fallen short of the glory of God. And everyone needs a Savior. And everyone who comes to God must believe that He is and He is a reward of those who seek Him. The bottom line is God must be your Father. So that then everyone who asks receives, he who seeks find, and to him who knocks it will be open. And we need to recognize that this is our Father that we are speaking to. Verse 11, Jesus says, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? He doesn't say, How much more will God who is in heaven? He says, Your Father. How much will your Father give? Reminding us of the intimacy and the fellowship that we have with God. Remember when the Lord taught us to pray. He said, Pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven. So when you're bringing these requests before God, remember that we're speaking to our Father. Jesus is saying it's a, a father-child relationship. A father uh, will give good things to those who ask. This is such a wonderful statement. It, it, it's a guarantee that the father will give you good things if you just ask as a son or daughter. If you seek, he'll give you good things. If you knock on the, on, on, you know, knock, knock on the door, he, he'll, he'll open for you. Now that's exciting to me, but the million-dollar question is, what is the good thing that we should be asking for? I mean, if you ask the question, what is good, you're going to get a thousand different ideas from people, especially if you ask a child, what is good? What is good is candy, ice cream, you know, Disneyland, you know. But as parents, we know what is good for our children. In the same way, the Lord knows what is good for each one of us. Now we're told in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We're also told this in 1 John 5.14, that this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. See, Jesus is not saying, well, just keep asking, asking, asking until you get your way. That's not what He's saying. He's saying, ask according to His will, and, and He hears us. Well, what is God's will? God's will is, is good and perfect, whatever it is. You see, in the previous chapters, Jesus has been talking about a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees, a deep-down righteousness that exhibits itself in a godlike behavior wherever we go. I mean, who can live like that? I can't. 
You can't. Therefore, we need to ask God to give us what we need to accomplish what he asks. See, Jesus is talking about us asking for our character needs. We must ask for more love. We must ask for for more peace and joy and and, and patience and self-control. All those attributes of Christ's life that we need to display in this world, we need in our lives, and so we need to ask for them. I mean, do you need more love to live with that person you're with? Just ask for it. It's according to God's will. We know that it is, so, so ask. You'll get it. Do you need patience to help you in the situation you're in? Hey, just ask because we know patience is according to God's will. Do you need help in understanding how to handle your finances better? Just ask Him because it's His will to be good stewards over the things He's given to us. Do you, do you need strength and courage for today to resist the enemy? Whatever you need, just ask God and receive it from His hand. The only stipulation is that we must keep asking, keep seeking, and be totally dependent upon God. See, prayer is the key to everything. It's the highest uh, expression of our dependence upon God. And so we have the Lord telling us in a very father and son kind of relationship, saying, son, daughter, I know that you have daily needs. I'm your dad, so ask me. I'm going to give you all that you need uh, because I love you as a father loves his son. So trust me. And then he gives us an example. Look at verse 9. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Don't tell me that Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor. I mean, this is pretty funny stuff. If your son asks for bread, are you going to give him a stone? Hey, Dad, could I have a piece of bread? Sure, son. You take two stones and you put some peanut butter and jelly on it. Here's a stone sandwich for you. Love you. Thanks, Dad. It's kind of cruel. I mean, first of all, it would break the son's teeth and his heart at the same time. Or can you imagine, Dad, I'd love to a filet of fish sandwich. Sure, here you go. Dad, what's that rattling in my sandwich? Oh, you know, it's just a snake. Dad! Over in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 11 through 13, Jesus has one more delicacy there. He says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Dad, can I have some scrambled eggs? Sure, here's some scorpions with that. You just be careful of the little tail. It sticks as it goes down. We laugh at that because it's ridiculous. But understand, Jesus is saying this so you'll know that our Heavenly Father is not going to play some cosmic practical joke on us. Listen, if He wanted to play a practical joke on us, He's God. I mean, He could make it a whole lot worse. He's God. Now, the interesting thing if the people of Jesus' day really believe that, 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 that that's what the gods, little g, did, that, that, that the gods couldn't be trusted. People believed that they were mean and nasty and that they were tricky and unreliable. So whenever the gods gave something, there was always some sort of thorn hidden in the gift. I read the story about, uh, in Greek mythology about the young goddess Aurora. She fell in love with a mortal and she asked Zeus to give her lover immortality because she, she wanted to live with him forever. Well, Zeus played a trick on her. He gave the young man immortality, but he did not give him perpetual youth. He would get older and older and older, but would not die. And that's how the pagans thought that God acted in mean and evil ways. And here Jesus is saying, God is our Father. He gives good gifts to His children. And He's showing us the most intimate, selfless human relationships that we have is between a, a child and his parent who cares for and loves your children. That's the basic selfless relationship we have today. 
And Jesus is showing us just how much our Heavenly Father loves us. Look at verse 11 again. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to the good things to those who ask Him? Now, Luke's Gospel, again, chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus puts it this way. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? Do you notice the difference? How much more will Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I mean, that's a prayer that God will always answer. More of the Holy Spirit working and moving in your life. And we shouldn't be afraid as we open our hearts and ask Him for more spiritual power. That's exactly what we're going to get from Him. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, because in some circles, some people suggest that if we open our hearts to the power of the Holy Spirit, or to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Some people have in their minds that you, you become kind of a out of out of control, you know, sort of person. That if you open up your heart to the Holy Spirit, you're going to uh, you know, shake and rattle and roll around on the floor and act all strange and be un, under some uncontrollable force and, and just plain weird. That's not the Holy Spirit. God seeks to give us good gifts and according to His Word and one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, it's self-control. So God's not going to give you something that's contrary to His Word any more than I'm going to buy my child something that's going to harm him. You know, that I would, would buy your, your seven-year-old boy, a, you know, give him a lighter and, and one of those huge firework mortars and tell him it's a gift, go enjoy it. No way. Why? Because I know that it will harm him. Now, if I hand my 19-year-old Matthew a lighter and one of those huge firework mortars and tell him it's a gift, go enjoy it, he will enjoy it. Okay, wait a minute. That's probably not a good analogy because... It'll be more dangerous in his hand than in the seven-year-old hand. And so, here's my point. God is not going to give you something that is not the absolutely best thing for your life. And again, he will not give you something that's contrary to his word. There are people that are afraid to really open up their lives to God and, and, and to seek the Lord because they're afraid that God is going to ask them to do something that they really don't want to do. Well, I'm really afraid to say, Lord, whatever you want for my life, I'm willing to surrender to and submit to and do because I just know that God is going to send me out in the middle of the Sudan with snakes all around me. And as soon as I get there, I'm going to be bitten by a black mamba and I'm going to die in two seconds and I'm never going to see my family again. I'd, Stop! That's not our Heavenly Father. It's a father-son relationship. Let me tell you something. I'm not afraid to open my heart to the power of the Holy Spirit that I might experience something bad. However, I am afraid that I will not open up my, the, the, my heart to the Lord and I might miss out on something that's good, something that's terrific. God has got all these wonderful things for us and we go, oh, I'm not really sure I can surrender my life to the Lord. He's probably going to cut out a whole lot of fun in my life and it's really going to be a drag. Yeah, sure. This is God. He created you. He created fun. He's not the killjoy in heaven. What father does not love to give good gifts to his children? I tell you, when, when my boys were young, I would love to buy them toys, toys that I knew they would enjoy, but toys that I knew I would enjoy as well. But I thought it was funny. My son Joey and his new wife Natalie, they got for a wedding present a remote control Star Wars jet fighter drone. Now, I'm thinking it was more for Joey than Natalie, but, 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 but he got it. But this, this is the coolest gift ever, let me tell you. And I love watching Joey operate this thing, because he gets it, and he's learned how to do it, and he can make the thing take off and go real fast. He can make it do flips, 
And it's got the little sound, you know, it goes, you know, Jet Fighter, Star Wars, all the beeps and all the whistles. I mean, it is very, very cool. And I watched him the other day, just seeing how much he enjoyed, oh, you know, doing this and having this blast. Don't you think our Heavenly Father is the same way? If God has given you a gift of teaching children and he sees you on Sunday morning with all these kids around you and you're sharing Jesus with them and there's joy in their faces and there's joy in your face and the Lord sits back and he just looks at it and he smiles at what he sees. Oh, this is great. If God has given you the gift of hospitality hospitality, and you invite someone over for lunch after service and you're sitting around the table and you're talking about the Lord, don't you know that the Lord is sitting back and going, oh, this is great. This is awesome. If you minister to someone who's hurting and God has given you a gift, a word of wisdom to touch their heart, don't you know that the Lord sit back is just smiling and so pleased at the gift He's given us and how we're using those gifts? Again, what father doesn't love to see the joy in their kids' faces as they enjoy the gifts you've given to them? He's, he's our father. Abba, father, daddy, who wants to give us what we need. Sadly, a lot of people think that God is a cranky old man who's so insecure that when people don't respond to his love, he stomps around heaven, stomping judgments on people and becoming very angry because we can't get it right. What a false impression of our Heavenly Father. Listen, we are deeply loved by God. That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, God is a Father who wants to give and will always give that which is good because he's the only one who is good. Remember, Jesus said no one is good but God. And listen, I'm totally convinced that everything the devil does is designed for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to draw us away from God. He wants us to believe that God is not good. If he can succeed in doing that, then we're in trouble because then we start to take matters into our own hands. It's not so much that the devil hates us, but he hates God and he'll do anything to break his heart. And nothing breaks the heart of God more than being separated from those that he loves. So because of that, we need to keep asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, because we will receive. Maybe some of you here this morning have brothers or sisters or parents or children or very good friends who don't know Jesus Christ. And you've been praying for them for a long time. Let me tell you, I've, been, I've prayed for, for seven years for my mom to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And five months before the Lord took her home, uh, she, she came to know him. And my prayer was, Lord, just let me know that she knows you before she goes home, before she dies. And the Lord answered that prayer in my life. See, the, the lesson's clear. Don't stop praying. Don't throw in the towel. Our Father listens. He hears our prayers. And He'll answer them. But according to His script and His timing, not ours. Maybe you're in a crisis in your home or, or you're maybe having trouble in a relationship with your spouse or your parents. Listen, there are no promises that God will, will make your home into a place you, you long for, but He has promised to give you stability and supernatural help when you need it. Maybe you're struggling with a habitual sin in your life, and just when you think you're making progress, all of a sudden you fall back on your face. What you must do is believe God when He says sin will not have dominion over you, and keep trusting in His Word, and pick yourself up and go on even though you fell. Don't give up. One day you'll be perfectly pure, even though today you're not. Will you trust in the, and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome that sin? Maybe some of you are out of work, and you're depleting your, your savings, and you're beginning to wonder if the right job is ever going to come along. Listen, God knows all of these things, 
And you must continue to believe that God will not leave you or forsake you. He knows exactly what's best for your life. He's not going to withhold any good thing from you. And that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So again, ask, seek, knock, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You know, when Jesus says these three things, he's he's building an ascending intensity. In other words, they're all building off of each other. Ask, seek, and knock, which in and of itself is is an acronym. A-S-K, you know, the first letter is A. Ask, which simply means request, assistance, you realize your need. Seek, S, it denotes asking, but also adds action to it. Seeking it with, with effort. You know, like, like, like you're, you're looking for something that you've lost. You're really looking for it. When we seek, as Jesus asks us, we're doing it with effort. In other words, ex- Jesus expects us to do our part. So if you have a job, or rather if you don't have a job, and you pray, Lord, I, I really need this job. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. That doesn't mean you sit on your sofa and, and play Candy Crush all day on your phone. You know, God expects us to, to get up and, and, and earn our bread. It means you do your part. You need to be out looking for a job. And then finally, K, knock. Knocking involves asking and acting, but also perseverance. Just knocking on that door, knocking on the door. Now keep asking, keep knocking, keep almost with a desperation. Lord, I need to hear. So these words are packed together. It becomes very forceful. A passionate, persistent prayer life. Now, this brings us to point number two, persistent doing. See, Jesus has been talking about a relationship with our Father. As God's children, we, we, you know, we want what's absolutely best for us to ask. But listen, as parents, what do we want for our children? We want what's best for them, but we also want them to treat others nicely, you know, to, 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 to you know, treat others the way you'd want them to treat you, to follow the golden rule. Well, here Jesus actually gives us the golden rule. Look at verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Folks, this is, uh, this is the Mount Everest. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is climbing up the mountain. We've reached the peak. This is one of the most famous things Jesus ever said. This is Jesus' version of the golden rule. I say Jesus' version because variations of the same sayings was around before Jesus gave his. And the rabbinic uh, the rabbis' writings, and even in the Hindu and Buddhism, they have versions of it, but it's always cast, it's always in the negative, always presented in the negative, not the positive. Rabbi Hillel's version is, what is hateful to yourself, do not do to someone else. Or Confucius was, what, do you not, what you do not want done to yourselves, do not do to others. Or what we used to say in high school, do unto others before they do unto you. Get them first. Always in the negative, appealing to your selfish nature. I think that's just the way we are in our old fallen nature, that, that we always look at things from the negative side of life, never the positive. I read that when the late Stan Mitchell, the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Famer, first came up to the big leagues, he had a single in his first time up at bat. Second time he had a triple. His third and last time up he had a home run. So a single, a triple, and a home run. The press went wild. A superstar had emerged. As they interviewed Bobo Newsom, the, the pitcher who had given up the hits, he said, ah, Mutual is not that perfect. He can't hit doubles. <laughs> See, that there's something in us that we just have to try to find the flaw, but Jesus turns it around and makes it a positive, enriching uh, the meaning. Listen to the New American Standard Version of verse 12. And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, 
For this is the law and the prophets. Now there's no way I can do that without the help of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that goes back to our first point, persistent in praying. You know, Jesus is saying, hey, I have so much for you, just ask, especially the power of the Holy Spirit. Just ask, and I'll give it to you so that you can have the power to do good for people in the same way you'd want them to do good towards you. But it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember the Bible, uh, Jesus said, you were to love our enemies, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who despitefully use you. So when people treat you like dirt, you need to treat them like gold. And that takes the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to ask and seek and not. You know, the world's view of the golden rule is he who has the gold rules. But God's purpose of the golden rule is to release the love of God in our lives so we truly can learn to love one another. Now, I must add that the golden rule that Jesus teaches carries no guarantee that other people will treat you in the same way you want to be treated. But that doesn't matter. Jesus says, how you want people to treat you, treat them. Surprisingly, Jesus doesn't uh, say to do this if they deserve it. He doesn't say do this if, if they respect you. He makes no stipulation in it whatsoever. Nor is he suggesting we should treat others how we expect them to treat us, or how we think they should treat us, but how we want them to treat us. The world's version of the golden rule is if we are nice to people, then people will be nice to us. If we don't hit them, then they won't hit us. And our own selfish self-interest uh, to refrain from hitting and hurting so we won't be hit and hurt. Now that's useful to know, not a bad thing, but that's not what Jesus had in mind. The fundamental difference between what Jesus said and what these early teachers taught is the difference between self-interest and love for others. The self-interest says, I'm going to treat you a certain way because I want you to treat me that way. Love says, I'm going to treat you a certain way with love simply because I love you and I don't expect anything in return. That's God's agape love, loving without expecting anything in return. That's the heart of Jesus' words. And it reflects something that no other religion or philosophy has been able to reveal or duplicate. And let me say this. Jesus never asks us to do anything that he himself wouldn't do. All that Jesus asks us to do, he does. I mean, think about when Jesus was arrested and beaten and bruised and hung there on the cross and spit at and cursed at. What did Jesus do? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Listen, our Father in Heaven is the only one that can give us the power to live our lives like Jesus did. And it's not a preference, but a commitment to live out the command of Jesus to love people with a selfless love, not expecting anything in return. John MacArthur puts it well. He puts it this way. Selfless love does not serve in order to prevent its own harm or to ensure its own welfare. It serves for the sake of the one being served and served in the way it likes being served, whether it ever receives such service or not. That level of love is the divine love and can be achieved only by divine help. And that help comes from the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us freely to those who ask. Again, verse 12, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, Jesus summed up the law, prophets, in uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, of all the Ten Commandments, the law can be summed up in two, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. See, the law and the prophets 
contain the plan and the will of God for mankind. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, this is a, a command. It's marching orders to us as individuals as we go out of this church today, as we, we make our way into the world, we need to love people and serve them. Let me put it another way, and then we'll close and we'll enter into a time of communion. What if the law required that you get a driver's license in order to drive, and then they made us promise not to run people over with our car? Not a bad promise. We can put that in the law. Jesus, in effect, is ordering us not only to do that, but now go out of our way to pick up people and give them a ride, to find that pedestrian and help them out. Do you see the strong connection here between verses 7 through 11 and verse 12? The command to live dependently on God, verses 7 through 11, and the command to love, verse 12. Someone put it this way, by our love, uh, is, by our love is inspired. By love, our love is inspired. I get it right how they put it. By love, our love is inspired. In other words, it's because of the love of God being poured out for us that now we can have that love for one another. That's the key to love. It's not gritting your teeth. Oh man, I gotta love this guy because man, God's word says I gotta love him. But man, if I didn't have to, I wouldn't love this. Guy. No, it's, it's none of that stuff. Think about how patient God is with with us, with you. How much He cares for you. How, how patient He is with your failures. How He supports you and, and acknowledges you as one of His own. How how He tenderly provides for you. That's the same care that He wants us to pass to others. And I know it's hard to love people at times, especially. The world we live in is full of self-centered individuals. But once again, once we gain understanding of the intensity and the immensity of how much God loves us, then it gives us the ability to love others as they are. We can begin to accept them and love them as God loves us. That's a radical change that comes from the love of God being poured out into our hearts. Listen, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. It's impossible. I'm not the, that, the, the kind of person who does this kind of thing naturally. Neither of you. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why unless the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives and Christ lives through us, we'll never do unto others as we would have them do unto us. That is why as a result, or that is why rather as we enter into a time of communion, we can come in prayer. We can come asking and seeking and knocking. And asking for a refilling of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. That we may be able to live, we would be able to live this Christian life that God has called us to do. That, that we'd be able to please Him. And then as we do that, it is called us to do, we, we recognize it's because of His love. First John, rather than First John, John 15 verse 12, Jesus said, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. The way to love other people is to remind yourself, ourselves, how much God loves you. And that takes us right to the cross. It takes us right to the communion table to understand God loves us so much He went to the cross for us. See, as we enter into a time of communion, it's not something that we rush through so we can try and get home early. All right, let's get to, to lunch and, and your game's on. It. No. It's a time that we just stop and go, okay, we take a breath. We're here we need to focus our hearts on what Jesus did upon the cross, examine our lives. If there's any sin in our lives, we need to confess it before the Lord. And we need to pray for these things we've talked about. Maybe more patience, more, more, more peace, more, more whatever it is that, that, that you would seek from the Lord. 
It's a time to commemorate what Jesus did for us upon the cross and to pray for more power in our lives. So let's do just that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that hears our prayers, knows what we're going through, knows what's uh, perfectly right for our lives, Lord, and you will provide when we need it at just the right time. And Father, we pray. I pray, Lord, that, Lord, you cleanse us of our sin. Maybe there's some times in this past week, Lord, where we haven't trusted you, Lord. Maybe we've We've tried to take matters into our own hands and we've messed things up. Lord, we haven't exhibited the the fruits of your Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, self-control. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, we're asking, we're seeking a filling of your Holy Spirit to empower us to live this life you've called us to live. To love, Lord, as you've called us to love. And we thank you, Lord, that we're not just told to love, but we see it displayed for us as we look back at the cross, and we look back at the, the communion table, Lord, and what you did the night before you betrayed as you took the cup and you said, this is your blood which, which would be shed for us. As you took the bread and broke it and said, this is your body which would be broken for us. Lord, we recognize that it was all dealt with upon that cross. Our sin, past, present, and future has been dealt with. The guilt and shame has been taken away. You took it all upon yourself so that we can have this relationship. That's love at its highest cost. We praise you for that, God. And now bless our time of communion as we examine our hearts, as we draw close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.